Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 110. Hey, I'm your host, Dr. Yami. I'm a board-certified pediatrician, certified health and wellness coach, author, and speaker. I'm also a passionate promoter of the power of diet and lifestyle in preventing and reversing chronic disease and bringing joy and longevity into our lives. This podcast is focused on plant-based nutrition, habit formation, motivation, and mindset so that you can have the tools to live the best life possible. Are you ready to get started? Let's do this. And I think if more people took the time to listen, we would learn so much more. Um, everybody, you know, wants to be a speaker all the time. They want to hear their own voice. They have a message to communicate. Um, but I think, you know, taking a step back and really listening on a regular basis can make a huge impact. Hello, hello, veggie lovers. Welcome back to Veggie Doctor Radio. I have a really fun episode of Veggie Doctor Radio today with EA from EA Loves Life. But before I get to talking more about EA, I want to remind you about what I announced the last episode, which is that I now have a Patreon account, patreon.com forward slash the Dr. Yami. And I have started an affiliate shop at dryami.com forward slash shop. So those are two ways that you can contribute to this show. Can you help me pay my editor and all of the different services that we pay for to make this show as good as it as good as it is but hopefully soon bring you a superior experience because that is what i hope for this podcast so if you are a loyal veggie lover would you please consider chipping in it would mean the world to us to have you on our side and also it would give us the opportunity if you become a patron to give you extra goodies and we can get to know each other even better, which is so exciting to me. And then if you go to the affiliate shop and buy something you were already thinking of buying anyway, then it's a win-win, right? You buy something you already want and then it helps support the show and it also helps support the YouTube channel, which I'll be coming out with more recipe videos and restaurant videos soon. So thank you. Also remember that I have lots of freebies available, lots of free resources, how to replace dairy, how to replace meat, eating out resources at dryami.com forward slash free. I want to thank Alex for the five-star review of my podcast on Apple Podcast titled Amazing Podcast! Exclamation point. This podcast is a must for an individual or parent wanting to improve their life and the lives of their family members. 
It's evidence how much Dr. Yami cares about people. She asks wonderful questions, and each episode is a thoughtful contribution. Can't recommend enough, ending with a smiley face emoji. Hey, just a reminder that the information on this podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. It is not meant to replace careful evaluation and treatment by a healthcare professional. So if you have concerns about you or your child's eating, nutrition, or growth, consult a doctor. All right, let's talk about EA. EA is a graduate of The Ohio State University with a bachelor's degree in Spanish literature and international business. She's bilingual in Spanish. She's a social justice advocate and believes in fighting for total liberation for both humans and non-human animals. She's passionate about racial justice issues. She's a founding advisory board member of Plant the Power 614, a local grassroots nonprofit organization that seeks to cultivate a caring plant-based community for people of color that demonstrates unconditional love for ourselves, other animals, and our world. She is originally from Nigeria and raised in the United States. She currently resides in Columbus, Ohio. In her free time, she takes up being in nature, walking trails, watching foreign language dramas, and learning other languages. I think you're going to fall in love with Iye. She's so sweet. She has such an interesting story of how she came to be where she is. So I hope that you really enjoy. And just know that in a few days, we will be launching the pediatric series on the podcast. So if you have not already subscribed, please subscribe so that you can get all the notifications of all the great episodes coming out very soon. But before we get to that, we need to hear EA's story. So on to this episode. EA from EA Loves Life. Thank you so much for joining me today on Veggie Doctor Radio. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Okay, well, we're going to have so much fun. But before we delve into the nitty gritty, I want to know more about your vegan journey. How did you adopt veganism? How did you find it? Tell me about the process and the journey. Well, the process first started out um, a little bit over three years ago. It was initiated by the fact that my father, he had stage four liver cancer. Um, He had to get surgery uh, to have a tumor removed towards the base of his spine. And through that process of getting the tumor removed, he almost lost his life. He lost so much blood that we didn't think he was going to make it. And it was an experience that really like shook the entire family. And it really made me think about our health and longevity and how, you know, life is very temporary and fleeting. And it made me think that we need to take better care of ourselves. Um, Thankfully, my father's doing fine. He's in remission um, and he's fully recovered from that. Um, But afterwards, it got me on the trajectory of thinking, what are some things that I could do in my life to, you know, live longer and healthier? So I ended up coming across a documentary called Forks Over Knives. And that documentary, like, put me on this whole path because it introduced me to the whole food uh, plant-based lifestyle. Up until that point, I, you know, I've heard of people who are vegetarian. I'd never heard of people who are vegan. And the word whole food plant-based was not even in my vocabulary. Um, But I immediately took to the fact that uh, the documentary says that, you know, genetics load the gun, but lifestyle pulls the trigger. 
And I had never thought that I had any control over what's in my genetics. I'm like, my dad, he suffered from cancer. Other family members of mine have suffered from cancer. It's inevitable that at some point in my later life that I'm probably going to come across it and there's nothing that I could do. Um, but that documentary taught me that I could actually lower my chances and reduce my risk. So I immediately changed my diet over to whole food plant-based and I was eating really clean, you know, fruits, vegetables, whole grains, legumes, and that type of thing. Um, I had still incorporated dairy here and there, but then I learned that through um, a video I watched on YouTube called Dairy is Scary, there's actually ethical implications of eating dairy. So I immediately quit dairy after that and went vegan uh, for the animals, for ethics, for you know the environment, for all the other reasons. And I just became one of those like typical vegan like documentary junkies because I felt great and I learned that I'm doing something you know great for the environment and other beings, and I wanted to. I'm continuing to learn on that path. So that's basically the story. Wow. I love that story. It's very similar to mine in that you started from more like a health perspective. It, you know, you were opened up, you were empowered actually by this documentary that empowered you to be like, you know, maybe I can control some of my health destiny, but then you started learning some more about the the way that animals are treated. And then you just kind of went deeper on that path. Um, so that's super fascinating. Now, when you changed your diet, did anybody else in your family pick that up? Have they been influenced by you at all when it comes to the health perspective? When it comes to the health perspective, my family members, they're incorporating more um, whole whole foods into their diet, more plants into their diet. But as of right now, I don't have any converts <laughs> um, to the whole food plant-based lifestyle. But my younger niece, she said she wants to grow up, you know, vegan because of my influence. So she gives me a lot of hope. The, the younger generations in general gave me a lot of hope. Yes. And it, it just takes time. It's really funny what I found, you know, because I'm coming up on nine years of being vegan plant-based. I celebrate my plantiversary in four days and the people that seem the most skeptical and ask the most questions are sometimes the ones that surprise you the most, because all of a sudden they come up one day and be like, you know what? I changed my diet. I'm feeling great. I love it. And you're like, wait, what, what? It's really funny. Okay. So tell me more about the animals and, you know, starting from that first video that you watched about dairy and what your mind went through. Did you grow up whenever you were a child, like thinking about animals? Did you consider yourself an animal lover, an animal advocate, or do you feel like your mind was just open to a new world? Well, the interesting thing about that is I do have a story. Um, I've always been connected to animals from a very early age. Like I never considered myself an animal advocate, but when I was very small, maybe like around six or seven years old, um, my background is that my family is originally from Nigeria, and that's where I was born before I moved here to the U.S. Um, but my mom was throwing uh, a fashion show, and she decided to get a goat. At that early, you know, six to seven-year-old age, I had no idea why she brought a goat to a suburban neighborhood. But that goat, we named him Billy, and he became my friend, and we took him for walks. And we loved Billy, my younger brother and I did, until one day Billy did not the Billy was not home. Like he, he, he spent his time in the garage and he was not home. 
and we had this um, fashion show and the meal that was served to us was very skeptical to me. And I was like, what is this, you know, animal flesh thing going on here? And I was later told that that was Billy. Of course, I didn't eat it, but I was horrified and devastated to learn that, you know, in our culture, we eat goats and I did not want anything to do with that. I always loved animals and wanted to protect them and could not understand why a human being would want to eat other animals. But, you know, as time went along, I got conditioned to eating animals, but it was never something that I would have chose to do if it wasn't for societal conditioning. Wow. Super fascinating. So your, your mother wanted that goat because it was probably a ceremonial cultural, mm-hmm. like it was just going to be a special meal for this fashion yes. kind of a big deal. So she wanted to make sure that the guests felt welcomed and well taken care of. And, you know, for her, this just made sense. You get the goat, you kill the goat, you eat the goat. And for you as a kid, you're like, what, what, wait a second. This was like this living creature that I was loving and taking for walks. And now he's in the meal. That's so sad. Oh yeah. My gosh. It was pretty devastating. But I'm sure, did you say at that time that you wanted, did you make the connection to other animals? Like, did you say, I don't want to eat meat anymore? Or what kind of happened when you were that little girl? I know the thing about it is I didn't make the connection to other animals because, you know, as a society, everything that we eat for the most part, animal based is in other shapes. We don't think about the living being that it came from. So I didn't make the ethical connection to, oh, maybe these chicken nuggets and this hamburger patty, you know, belong to a chicken that could have been loved or a cow that, you know, should have been loved. I I totally, you know, blocked that part out because of cognitive dissonance. And then as I got older, I start to refer to these stories I had growing up of, you know, connecting to even fish. Like I would go with my family fishing and I thought it was the most cruel thing to put a hook in a fish and I didn't want to do it myself. I would refuse to do it. Um, But I, you know, I kept eating animals until later in my life. Yeah. So you finally had this opportunity almost to aligned with the values that you had inside of you, which I think is really beautiful. That's how I feel for me too. I feel like I've always kind of been that heart centered hippie inside, but it wasn't until I was able to get past the scientific thing of like, okay, it is possible to eat this way. And not only is it safe, but I can thrive. And then the rest of my values could be aligned with what I was doing. Cause really it just all made sense to me. Like of course I don't want to contribute to the suffering of animals if I don't have to, you know, Mm -hmm. so it sometimes can take, um, several steps. Okay. So then let's flash forward. So that was when you were six and then you're a grown adult. Now you started eating whole plant foods because of health reasons. You want to decrease your risk of cancer. And then you came across this video about dairy farms and those kinds of things. So what kind of started going through your mind at that point? So when I watched Dairy is Scary, I just couldn't believe the fact that this information is hidden from the general public. Um, First of all, the fact that we breed uh, cows into existence for the purpose of getting dairy, which is a substance that human beings don't even need at all, and it can be very harmful to our health. I was just shocked at the fact that there's so much cruelty and horror that goes into it, like, you know, from the artificial insemination process it's violating you know the cow's rights of consent and you know their ability to have their own autonomy and i saw that 
um, you know, violation. And I, and I believed in my heart that that's not something that I was in alignment with. Um, I believe that all beings should be treated with respect. And I also put together the fact that in schools, we learn about biology, but we're, we never really get taught to think about where our milk comes from. We mm -hmm. never think about the fact that a dairy cow has to be pregnant for nine months like a human before she gives birth to a cow, um, you know, a calf. And then the calf's milk is stolen from them and given to humans instead. And then they're fed, you know, milk replacer. And the injustice of that really broke my heart. Yeah. Wow. And did you feel, you know, it sounds like you were shocked, but were you angry? Did you, did you, is that when your passion started kind of rising up that you wanted to do something more to make a difference? Yeah, I was absolutely angry. I would, I was shocked. I was angry. I was horrified. I felt like this is something that everybody should know. And because I found this information out so, you know, later in life, I wanted to make sure that um, you know, I would, could become an advocate to make sure that people have this information way earlier on so they wouldn't spend the majority of their life contributing to this industry that's destroying the environment and harming, you know, all sentient life on earth. Yes, because there's definitely people out there that they're vocal about not wanting to know. They want to stay mm -hmm. in their ignorant bliss. And I understand that. I think for humans, it can be really uncomfortable to discover some of these realities because we have so much empathy and because knowing how animals are suffering causes us to suffer. You know, we feel that pain. And there's some people that I understand. They just, they're like, I can't go there. I'm not ready to go there. But I think that there's a lot of people that want to know, they want to know what the truth is. And I'm so glad that there's people like you out there that are doing this work. So tell me how this has taken shape for you. How have you taken your animal advocacy out into the world to help other people learn about these truths? Well, I'll go back to the beginning a little bit. So after I started eating this whole food plant-based diet, I never thought in a million years that I would become an animal rights act activist at all. It was the furthest thing in my mind. I just wanted to you know, be healthier for myself, and I even had these preconceived notions that we hear a lot, you know, animal rights advocates are preachy, you know, they are, um, you know, they put people down, they're in your face. And they ha I had all of those, you know, preconceptions, they're, they're hippies, this, that, and the other, and I didn't want to be associated. Um, but the injustice is what really took me to the next level. It was like, it didn't matter if people gave me any one of those monikers, because at the end of the day, I have to be okay with myself and living in alignment with my own personal values and ethics. And in order for me to do that, when I see an injustice, whether it's human or animal, I have to speak up about it. Um, and so the way that I started that process was I actually joined the vegan community through using social media net networks like Facebook at the time was where I very first started. Uh, so I connected with a group of local vegans through a um, a group called Vegan Outreach, and they pass out pamphlets and, um, you know, leaflets in the, in the neighborhood. And so we talked about doing those types of actions. And I just kept out finding more and more actions going on. You know, I did um, protests, you know, against the circus, and we stood out on the roadside with signs. Um, I also went to, you know, protests against dairy farms 
and we went to our local dairy farm with signs, you know, and I also felt at the end of the day that in some certain ways, um, the street activism, you know, wasn't the best route for me. Um, you know, I, I kept doing different types of actions. I did, you know, the cube of truth where you hold the video screens um, with showing the animal torture. And I, I still felt that I could make a bigger impact. And I found that community of people who are using social media to make a bigger impact. So that's also how you found me mm -hmm. because you can get thousands of views within seconds and, and, you know, clicks and engagement with people online. And I found that that's been so far the most effective strategy for me is to leverage social media. And my goal is to eventually branch into other platforms besides just Instagram, but, you know, to use YouTube and, you know, to get my own podcast and get that message out there in more, more ways, because um, this is the, the, you know, the technology era and it's faster, it's more convenient, and it's just logical to use all of your resources. Absolutely. And yeah, I love your Instagram feed because it's not that shaming that in your face, it, it's not graphic, which can turn some people away, even though it's the reality, right? We know that that's the reality, but it does say some of the hard truths. So it, it is real, but it, it's not doesn't turn people off, especially those people that might be uh, a, a little bit more vulnerable and feel like they need to protect their hearts. So thank you for doing that. So whenever we started talking about doing this podcast, you mentioned the terms collective liberation. Can you tell me what that means? Collective liberation is the concept that none of us are free until all of us are free. So even though I consider myself someone who advocates for the rights of non-human animals, I also understand the intersection of that is that we have to take care of human issues as well. Um, there's no possible way to have, you know, a moral baseline or a standard for human beings to consume in a certain way when those options are not available equally for everyone. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of food injustice and food insecurity all around the world. And I understand that in order for me to advocate for animals, I have to make sure that those resources are available to other communities who are a lot more impacted than I am in terms of living in a food apartheid. Yes. Um, and also, I think that there's an intersection with people who you know, are marginalized due to their skin color, due to the way they identify, due to their sexuality. Um, there's multiple different factors that play into living this lifestyle, you know, there's people who are dealing with being, um, you know, who are living as neurodivergent, who have, you know, um, an impact in terms of entering this community, because this community, you know, they use ableist terms, there's still a lot of people who haven't learned how to, you know, treat people who are different than them neurologically with respect. So I'm trying to unlearn some of my habits and become someone who knows more about different communities so that when I share this message, I can share it in a way that's impactful to everyone without insulting their character. Yeah, more inclusive. But you're right. A lot of these things are learned habits. And I'm still learning a lot too and trying to unlearn some of my, my tendencies of thinking. And um, we're just not going to be perfect at the beginning. So I think um, just to invite people to really start thinking about some of these things and thinking about how can you change 
your vocabulary, the way that you speak and in your mind, be more inclusive so that you're able to contribute to the freedom and ending the suffering for everybody. So yeah, that's really powerful. But as you bring that up, one of the things that has been coming up, especially lately where, you know, we have the resurgence of Black Lives Matter in a more public way, even globally now, not just the United States, um, which is really good. But what I have been seeing on social media, especially uh, from people of color and Black people, is that the vegan movement is not always as inclusive. So tell me what it's been like being a black woman in the animal rights movement. Has Have you encountered things that you were surprised about or that felt uncomfortable or that you didn't feel included? Absolutely. And towards the beginning of, you know, stepping into the activism space, I didn't notice it as much. Um, you know, my my identity and the interconnection that it played with my role as a vegan advocate. And the reason why is because I've come, I, I moved to the United States as an immigrant. So I've always been like the odd one out. Mm-hmm. And it didn't seem unusual to me that I was doing activism with a group of white people and I was the only brown person there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it became more apparent when organizations would ask me to do specific um you know, things for them, you know, do activism with them because it would be great to have a black woman. And I noticed that, um, um, you know, there's a lot of tokenization that comes in this movement. You were the of, token black woman. <laughs> we need yeah. our, we need diversity. Please come. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And, you know, I, I didn't really take it as an insult, you know, initially, but then I started to realize that that's really harmful you know, just having brown bodies, you know, in white spaces does not mean inclusion. Mm -hmm. Um, What we really need to talk about is how, you know, people of color and black people can be amplified in the work that we're already doing. Um, Here in my hometown, we didn't have any activism uh, for brown and black people. But I've been so fortunate that One of my friends, uh, she founded an organization called Plant the Power 614, which is specifically for this purpose of um, creating a safe environment for uh, people of color, especially Black people, uh, to learn about veganism and the plant-based lifestyle um, without the, you know, the distractions and the, you know, microaggressions that may come from being in a white community. Um, So when it comes to, you know, Black Lives Matter and how it's becoming this global trend that everybody is speaking up on. Yeah, I've experienced, you know, racism within the vegan movement, knowingly and unknowingly, um, because there is this huge push for, we want more Black vegans, you want more Black vegans, but it's more of a, you know, a token type of a thing. Um, But nowadays, because of Black Lives Matter surging, um, I am being asked to be included in more spaces um, and not and not just, you know, be used as a token person, but people are interested now in my thoughts. And I've noticed that there's been a shift nowadays towards that because there's um, someone, I don't remember the name online, but they started the Amplify Black Voices hashtag. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's been getting around. And, you know, I've been sharing a lot of, you know, my thoughts through that because people have been, you know, sharing my information around. Wow. Yeah, that that's so fascinating. And 
I've heard, I don't know if this is true, that people of color make up one of the fastest growing segments of veganism. Do you know if that's true based on statistics? Statistically, yes, that is very true. Um, I believe the percentage is 8% of people who self-identify as as vegan um, are uh, African-American. Wow. And it's it's more than double any other group here in the U.S. And what's significant about that is the fact that when you people typically think of a vegan, especially, you know, a North American um, United States vegan, they're thinking of, you know, a white woman who does yoga and, you know, goes to the, the smoothie or juice bar every day, um, you know, which is the case, you know, some of the time and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Um, but the majority of, you know, vegans here in the United States are people of color, um, but we're highly underrepresented in this movement. And I would also add disrespect in this movement. And to the point where, you know, I read a book um, called Afroism by decolonial author Afco, and she even had to get off Twitter because the abuse by white vegans was more than she could bear. And she thought it would be better to have a static a resource, which is a book where she could share her thoughts without having to deal with the mental toll and anxiety that it takes to share your voice in this community as a Black woman without getting the backlash from the white community who thinks that, oh, we're conflating issues when we talk about Black lives and we talk about animals. Wow. That's so fascinating. Have people ever seemed shocked or surprised when you've told them that you are vegan? Yeah, I say almost all the time. <laughs> it's more <laughs> it's more rare that people are not shocked than that they are shocked. They're shocked the majority of the time. Um, I think that they are very, you know, convinced that the stereotype is true, that a typical vegan is, you know, a you know, a skinny suburban white woman. And when I when they see me and you know, I'm a larger size, I'm brown, you know. They're like, oh, we didn't expect someone like you to be vegan, but the response has overwhelmingly been great. That's great. Okay. I also want to talk about some of the other interests you have is you like learning languages and traveling. And originally you're from Nigeria. So can you give us some insight into how thinking about the world globally, learning different languages um, how that's given you insight into human or animal rights? Well, one of the things that I love about learning languages, it connects you to more people. And one of the languages that I know, um, not as well as Spanish, I actually majored in Spanish in school. So cool. my my Spanish is pretty fluent, but um, in in terms of, you know, my languages, I also know a bit of Norwegian. Um, so the world has really been open to me in terms of like meeting Norwegian activists and being able to follow how they do activism in their own countries. And I'd love to see that other countries are also taking into consideration collective liberation, because I did see that my Norwegian friends are um, protesting for Black Lives Matter all the way wow. in Norway, where like yeah. the population of Black people is like almost <laughs> insignificant, <laughs> but but it became a, a thing of concern worldwide. And I think that um, you know learning different languages has opened me up to learning about other cultures. Who you know I'm finding out they they have you know the same types of hangups about switching to plant based as every other place in the world. You know, everybody wants to be unique and be seen as an individual, especially when it comes to their plate, 
because mm-hmm. our plate is our culture, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, I can't give up my meat because you know I'm Nigerian or I can't give up my meat because I'm Mexican. Well, come to find out every single culture in the world says the exact same thing. Yeah. And the reasoning for not going vegan are the same, regardless of what country it is. It's all the same reasoning. I love it. That it's just connected you to so many more people and helped you see that really we have more things in common that we, than we do different, right? Absolutely. That's great. Well, what tips do you have for people that are listening? And it, this is really jiving with them. They, they want to step up their animal activism. They believe with about, you know, this collective liberation, what can they start doing to move towards that? So with collective liberation, I think a great place to start is um, start with reading and learning more about what it is. Um, You know, there is a resource online. I believe it is collectiveliberation.org, but I have to verify that 100%, but it gives the principles of what it is to you know, um, live in alignment with those, with collective liberation and what collective liberation means. So I would learn the principles of what it means. And basically what it is, is it's all about advocating for every different type of oppression. Obviously one person can't do it all, Mm -hmm. but it's about having that awareness and open-mindedness to the fact that yes, you know, non-human animals are suffering they're suffering in greater quantities than human beings are suffering. Um, but that doesn't mean there needs to be an, you know, an, an Olympics oppression of Olympics. You know, we're not competing for who's the most oppressed, yeah. but we're understanding that we live in a world where people can't divorce, divorce themselves from their identities. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're suffering because of racism or sexism or heterosexism, that your struggle is valid and you don't have to put your struggle you know, behind advocating for the animals that we can speak up for both things at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would recommend, um, like I said, first, you know, looking at resources about collective liberation online, reading books like Afroism, which helped me so much, um, reading Racism as Zoological Witchcraft, which is also by the same author as Afroism, and then finding areas where you could advocate that don't have anything to do necessarily with animal rights, like, you know, speak up at, or, you know, get involved in a Black Lives Matter protest, or, you know, make sure you you go and learn about people in the disability community and find out what resources they need and how you can support them. Um, But it's also not about overshadowing people who live in the intersection um, or, you know, co-opting those movements to uh, talk about animal rights. It's about supporting them And eventually those types of people, they're going to ask you about your lifestyle and you could introduce to them that you're vegan and how veganism is living in alignment with all of your moral values. And that way they'll become interested in veganism. Um, It's not about, you know, going to a Black Lives Matter protest and saying, well, if Black Lives Matter, non-human animal lives matter too, which I see a lot of white vegans wanting to do that. um, But that is not the right approach at all. Yeah, no, that those are some great points. And I feel like vegans get criticized a lot by people that are in some of these other uh, movements, activists for other issues, because there's like this assumption that if you are passionate and you care for animals, I guess 
your passion runs out and you don't have any care for anybody else or anything. They'll, be, they'll say like, but the children or, but you know, this or, but that. <laughs> and I think that, I think what you're saying is true is that if you have passion and you have love and you have empathy for one cause, it doesn't mean you can't do it for another cause. So start exploring what other causes motivate you and what inspires you to go contribute and go support that cause, but make sure that you're not hijacking that cause Mm -hmm. for, you know, the animal rights movement cause, because it's, it's distasteful. It's not in good Mm -hmm. taste. And then people start getting a little fussy about that because Mm -hmm. you're taking away from getting attention for the issue that you're at. So I think that what happens is we just get so passionate and we're like, but also the animals, don't forget <laughs> yes. about the animals. Because, you know, it yeah. does seem like there's just not that many people talking about the animals or so many people talking about this and that, but we can all join together and support each other for, there's so many issues that are important. They're all very important. And these are great tips for helping us navigate this and, and starting to support a collective liberation. So I'll make sure that we put all of these resources in the show notes so that people can have access to them. So EA, what do you wish more people knew? I wish more people knew that in order to live in harmony with all living beings on earth, um, it's a lot easier to do than we imagine. For example, we, we always think about if I can't do everything, then I'm going to do nothing. That's the majority of people on earth. Like if we're like, well, if I'm going to eat plant-based, that's not going to save all the animals, but you have to do at least one thing. You have to put your best foot forward and just try because, you know, I'm going to go out today and step on an ant doesn't mean that I shouldn't live my life. You know, those things happen. Like, unintended consequences happen by just existing and and being here. Um, But at the same time, you do what's in your power, do what's in your control. And I wish more people would, you know, think in in a way that would allow them to just, you know, to live in full expression of themselves is just to take the next step forward. Oh, that's so beautifully said. Exactly. So drop the perfectionism, drop the all or nothing thinking, just do the best you can and believe that your contribution is enough. It doesn't have to save the world. You don't have to see this, you know, magical salvation of the whole world for it to matter. It does matter. And that's really how movements are formed, right? By individuals coming together as a group and making a difference. So if we all said, well, I can't make a difference, we would never have any of these movements. So that's a very good reminder for that. Well, I would like to know what personal habit are you most proud of? How did you develop it? And how do you maintain it? That's a great one. I would have to say, I think my best personal habit is that I'm a listener. Hmm. Um, I, I think I enjoy, you know, understanding other people's thoughts and emotions and what they're going through. And I just think I was born in an empath. And I think if more people took the time to listen, we would learn so much more. Um, Everybody, you know, wants to be a speaker all the time. They want to hear their own voice. They have a message to communicate. Um, But I think, you know, taking a step back and really listening on a regular basis can make a huge impact, you know, in developing yourself as a person. 
and also in just connecting with others and people will love you more when they know that you care about them. Oh yes. I feel like you were speaking to me because I'm that person. I love the sound of my own voice. That's one of the reasons I podcast. <laughs> I'm just going to admit it people. You probably know by now. Okay. Um, but I love speaking and I love being passionate and saying, but I need to work more on my listening skills. But it's so true that whenever you take time to listen and to try to understand somebody else's perspective, like you really give it an effort. You ask clarifying questions. You really try to see where somebody is coming from. That creates such a deep connection where you can form these bonds where we know, yes, we're different. We have different opinions. We have different perspectives. But like you said before, we probably have more in common than we have different, but it takes us sitting down and really listening. And I bet that listening skill really helps you in learning languages too. Oh, it really does. Yes. <laughs> yeah, Because if you listen, you're just, you're really going to learn those intonations and those differences, those subtleties and pronunciation. So yeah, what a great habit to have. Okay. EA, tell me how listeners can connect with you. Where can they find all this amazingness that you're putting online? Well, I'm in two places right now. I'm on Instagram primarily and also on Twitter. Uh, so you can follow me at Instagram. And it's my first name, I-Y-E dot loves, L-O-V-E-S dot life, L-I-F-E. And on Instagram, it's the same, but with no spaces. So EA Loves Life and or on, on Twitter, EA Loves Life, no spaces. Okay, perfect. Yes, and definitely follow her. She has very inspirational posts that she makes, and I think they're really great. Okay. So this has been fantastic. You've given us some really good information, very actionable, but I want you to leave us with one more piece, a call to action for the week. What can my listeners do this week to improve their lives? So this week I would recommend watching at least one documentary because there's hundreds of documentaries on plant-based lifestyle and living and you, you know, it might take time to find the one that most resonates with you, but this week watch at least one documentary and I'll throw out, you know, one of my favorites, which is the game changers that came out recently and it's about athletes and I recommend that one. Okay. That's such a good one. I had the urologist that was on the game changers on my podcast as well. He's so good, but yeah, that's a really great uh, documentary. You also mentioned forks over knives. There's what the health. I mean, there's so many. And then of course there's Earthlings, which is a classic and so many more. So that is a great call to action. I did find a really great article that had like 47 vegan documentaries and I have it linked on my Instagram um, little bio, but I'll also link it to this podcast as well. So if you need inspiration, that was a great call to action. Well, EA, this has been so fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on my podcast and thank you so much for the work that you're doing. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Once again, I appreciate you having me on. Well, I hope that you have a very plantastic day. Thank you, you too. I hope that you enjoyed today's episode. Thank you for tuning in and I look forward to having you back again next week. A very special thank you to the band Rocket Surgeons for permission to use the broccoli song. 
To find out more about the Rocket Surgeons, please visit their website at rocketsurgeonsband.com or Facebook at Rocket Surgeons Music. Please subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Also, all of my social media links can be found in the podcast description. Send me a message and let me know what you think of today's podcast. Sharing is caring. Please share, rate, and review my podcast and drop me a line if you have ideas for future episodes. Thank you once again and have a plantastic day. When everyone's on the same page, getting things done at work is easy. No matter what you do or what industry you're in, how you communicate is key. Everything you type is equally important to collaboration, and Grammarly can help. Think of it as your AI writing partner, empowering you to communicate effectively and efficiently so you can make a bigger impact in the workplace. 96% of Grammarly users say it helps them craft more impactful writing. And as the gold standard of responsible AI, Grammarly is your secure AI writing partner that allows your team to make their point and move faster. By understanding your writing and context, Grammarly provides relevant, personalized suggestions. And with tone suggestions, you can navigate even the most difficult work conversations. You can also save time from spending hours editing drafts to just seconds with one click. Sign up and download Grammarly for free at Grammarly.com slash podcast. That's G-R-A-M-M-A-R-L-Y dot com slash podcast. Easier said, done.